The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. We're here to celebrate because death couldn't handle him and because the grave couldn't hold him. And that's the only reason we have to celebrate. Because let me tell you, if he's, if he's still in the grave, if he didn't rise on the third day, then Paul says that we are foolish. And, and Paul would say that we are to be pitied above all men. And so the whole centerpiece of our belief system, all of eternity and what we believe hinges on the question, is he risen? And if not, we may as well just shut things down and, and leave. So because you're here, I hope it's because you believe, and if not, I hope you leave here believing. Um, And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the risen King, and I'm not going to take long this morning because we are still going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. Uh, And so this this morning, we just want it to be a a celebration of, of the resurrection. So if you will, turn to Luke 24. And uh, we're going to start off, we're, we're going to be really all through this great chapter, um, but we're going to start off in, in verses 1 through 8. And so as you're looking for that, if you will stand uh, as we read this together. And if you, if you need a Bible, there should be one in a pew somewhere near you. If you don't own one or you don't know where yours is, um, you can take that. If yours is underneath your bed, um, please use ours and then just set it right back in the pew before you go home. This is what Luke chapter 24 says. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen." Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the celebration that we have this morning. I thank you for this great Sunday when we we celebrate your resurrection. So I pray this morning that you will speak to us about the resurrection. Um, Show us, Father, the evidence for the resurrection. I pray if there's anybody in here who came maybe just as... Um, but because they're curious and because it's Easter, they felt like they needed to be in church. I pray that you would speak to their hearts this morning. Reveal yourself to them through your word. And may we, this morning, in this, in this church in Clayton, New Mexico, experience the risen Lord and Savior in a very real and a very powerful and in a very personal way. We ask all this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you very much. So let me tell you a little bit this morning about my king. First thing we see here very clearly in the scripture is that the king is risen from the dead. Okay, church. I I, I know, I know we're Baptists, okay? So I know that speaking out in church might, might seem a little weird, okay? But listen, folks, we got something to celebrate this morning, okay? Amen. Our king is risen. Amen. Oh, woo! There you go. All right. You might not, you might not want to amen too much because that'll get a preacher going and we might be here all morning. That's why we started 10 minutes early to provide a little bit of, bit of extra time this morning. Um, 
So here's what we see in the scripture. It tells us very clearly, the women went to the tomb on Sunday. Now, Jesus is crucified on Saturday. The Bible tells us he died about 3 o'clock p.m. On, on Friday afternoon. That would have been about three hours before the start of the Sabbath at dusk. And so as hard as it is, as hard as it would be for, for the women, for the disciples, they, they, they hurriedly get him in Joseph's tomb, and then they let him be. They rest on the Sabbath. They obey the word of God on the Sabbath. And I've thought long and hard, especially yesterday. Um, we had a funeral here uh, yesterday morning, and, and I just thought, you know, this, this family um, might know something of, of that experience on Saturday. Between walking through the, the worst moments of their life and, and waiting for the hope to come and just wondering, what now? What, what do we do now? And so I, I can imagine that it was, it was a very difficult Sabbath for Mary, Jesus' mother, for Mary Magdalene, for the disciples as they, as they try to process what they've just seen and, and try to figure out how, um, what Jesus has said for the last three years, what, what do we do now? How do we go forward from this point? But they observed the Sabbath. As much as they maybe wanted to go to the tomb and, and take care of his body, they they obey the word, and then they go on Sunday morning. And, and get this, because they obeyed the word of God, because they observed the Sabbath, they get to take part in the greatest event in human history. So Luke tells us that, that the women went, and depending on which gospel you read, they give slightly different accounts, but, but the main facts are the same. Women went, which is important, because if, if this story were made up, Jews would never have had women going to the tomb because in those days, the testimony of a woman was not even admissible in court. Women would have had no standing. They weren't considered reliable witnesses. And so if the story was made up, surely it would have been the disciples who went and found his body and then spread the word because that would be a believable testimony. But as it is, God chooses to send women. And they find the body. They run. They tell the disciples. They, they find the tomb empty. They run. Tell the disciples, we, we found it empty. His, his body's gone, and we don't know where they've laid him. Now, almost unanimously throughout history, it's been accepted that Jesus' tomb was empty. There's one idea that says um, that maybe they just went to the wrong tomb on Sunday morning. The problem with that is as um, the stories about Jesus' resurrection begin to circulate, it would have been very easy for the Roman authorities to go and point to his tomb and say, you just went to the wrong place. Here it is. His body's still in there, and that never happens. So various explanations have been given throughout history as to why the tomb was empty, but it's almost unanimously accepted that the tomb was empty. So some of these explanations are one of, these, one of them is that the disciples stole Jesus' body. In fact, um, we're actually told in Matthew that this, this is the story the Roman guards spread. When the Roman guards wake up from whatever sleep they've been put in, uh, they realize their lives may be on the line because the body that they were supposed to guard is gone. And so we're told in Matthew that the Roman guards begin to spread this rumor that that the disciples stole his body, okay? 
So, so you'll have a lot of people even today who will hold on to that. Let me tell you why this doesn't hold up. Each of the remaining 11 disciples and Matthias, who is chosen in Acts chapter 1 to replace Judas, and Paul, who was a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, the religious leadership group who is partially responsible for sending Christ to the cross, and countless other followers of Christ, believe to their death that Christ resurrected from the grave. Not only that, to a man, they all suffer persecution for the name of Christ and for the belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Um, let me take you through this real quick, and, and I don't mean to make this gruesome, but I just want us to, to talk through and, and, and for you to realize how committed these men were that Christ rose from the dead. Matthew suffered martyrdom by being slain with a sword at a distant city of Ethiopia. Mark expired at Alexandria after being cruelly dragged through the streets of that city. Luke was hanged upon an olive tree in the land of Greece. <laughs> we'll come back to John. Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downward. History tells us Peter was crucified upside down because they sentenced him to crucifixion. And he says, I'm not worthy to, to die in the same manner as my Lord. And so they crucify him upside down. James the Greater was beheaded at Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a lofty pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with clubs. So in case the fall from the temple didn't kill him, they beat him to death. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body with a lance in the East Indies. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded in case the stoning didn't, didn't kill him in the first place. Barnabas of the Gentiles was stoned to death at, at uh, Salonica. Paul, after various tortures and persecutions, was at length beheaded at Rome by the emperor Nero. John is the only one of the remaining 11 disciples who doesn't suffer martyrdom, and it's not because they didn't try. They sentence him to be boiled in oil, and he lives. And so, they, so when, when he comes out of this boiling pot of oil alive instead of dead, he kind of freaks everybody out, and they, they think he has a demon, so they exile him to, the, to this island called Patmos, which is where he writes the Revelation. So, so get this. These men who supposedly stole Jesus' body and then make up this story about him being resurrected and, and him being the Messiah all suffer terrible persecution and go willingly to their deaths. Does that sound like men believing something that they thought was a lie? Because let me tell you, if I make up a story and you're about to boil me in oil, I'm fessing up, okay? As, as, that, as that oil starts boiling, that's a perfect time to say, gotcha, <laughs> just kidding, it was a joke. And none of the disciples do that. They all go willingly to their death. In the case of Andrew, and I find this so great, because Andrew, if you remember in the Gospels, is the one who brought his brother Peter to Christ. As he's crucified, he preaches to those who've crucified him until he dies. These men believed with their whole heart that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. 
Another, um, the, another explanation that's been given, this, this I think is even um, more ridiculous than the first one, is that Jesus wasn't really dead. On the cross, this, this explanation would say that on the cross, because he, he had suffered so much, he finally got to the point where he passed out. And even though he couldn't push himself up on the nails because he was unconscious and, and couldn't breathe, which means he would have suffocated, somehow he survived. And, and even though they thrust the spear in his side and, and burst the sack around the heart and water came out, that he somehow wasn't really dead. He was just in a comatose state. So they take him, put him in the tomb, and he's in a coma on Friday night and all day Saturday. Then on sometime early Saturday morning, he wakes up from this comatose state and despite being um, beaten within an inch of his life before he's crucified, he somehow rolls this stone away, maneuvers the stone, and then walks out of the tomb. And then, as we're going to see in a minute, takes off out of Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus and walks seven miles with disciples. And talks to them along the way. And his body is so well healed that they don't see this guy all beaten and bloody and bruised and say, uh, can we get you to a doctor? They just walk with him like, like it's no big deal. Any of you guys ever walk seven miles in a day? Like, like on a journey, set out and, and walk seven miles? Anybody? Anybody? How many of us are in good shape and walking seven miles is a bit of a stretch sometimes? So Jesus being beaten within an inch of his life and then crucified, and then having his side pierced, and then laying in a tomb for, for two days in a comatose state, and then rolling a stone, waking up, rolling a stone away, and taking off on a seven-mile journey. Do you see how ridiculous this is? And so you might, you might be here this morning, you're a little bit skeptical, and you say, well, come on, how, how, how likely is it that Jesus actually resurrected from the dead? Because after all, in all of our experiences, anyone that we know who is dead is dead, Right? Listen, investigators would say, if you watch CSI at all, and I know, look, I'm not putting stock in, in, in television shows, but one of the things that they say in CSI, and one of the things that you'll hear from investigators is, you go where the evidence leads you. So here's what we have. Here's where the evidence takes us. Jesus' tomb was empty. And, and unanimously throughout history, it's been believed that his tomb was empty. So that's the first piece of evidence. We've, now we've got to figure out how it was empty, where the body went, but it was empty. Here's the second thing that we see. Um, Jesus appears to his disciples and to others. Go with me to, to 13, and, and we see this in, in chapter, or sorry, verse 13, all the way through 49 is just him making appearances to people. We're not going to read all this, um, but, but I want to touch real quick. Uh, we already talked about 13, the, the road to Emmaus. He, he, two disciples are walking along, and Jesus, it said in 15, he drew near them and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as they walk? Then they stood still, looking sad. And they say to Jesus, are you the only person, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So Jesus shows up with them, starts walking with them, and, and, and plays ignorant. What, what, what's going on, guys? What's up? And, and why, why are you so sad? And so they tell him, um, Then go to verse 25. So they say, we, we, we thought, we thought this man was the Messiah. And now we're just, we're just not sure. And then to top it all off, some of our women went to the tomb this morning and found it empty. And so now on top of our, the man we thought was the Messiah being dead, all of a sudden his body's gone and we, we, we don't know what happened. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus preaches to the disciples about himself. And then he goes, of course, if you remember the story, he goes there, they don't recognize that it's Jesus, so they go and they... He acts like he's going on further when they get to Emmaus and they say, well, it's getting dark. Why don't you come eat with us? Spend the night with us. So he goes and as they're about to eat, says he breaks bread and immediately their eyes are open. They recognize that it's Jesus and then he vanishes. Then verse, uh, go down to verse 36. So that's one appearance. Verse 36 says, they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and touch my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, as you see that I have. Um, so another one of the uh, possible explanations that's been given is that the, the disciples just hallucinated. Okay, that they just thought they saw something. The problem is hallucinations don't typically have um, hands and feet and feel. So Jesus says, touch me. I'm here. Touch me. And when, he had sh- and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So he stands there, he eats. They hand him a piece of fish. He eats the fish, proving that he is real. He's standing there. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promises of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So basically what he's saying here, he goes back to the scriptures, and if you remember, Jesus told his disciples several times, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. They're going to kill him, but on the third day he's going to rise again. And so what, what we see here that happens here, Jesus dies and the disciples are, are just shocked. He rises again on Saturday morning. His body's gone, and, and they go, what, what happened to his body? How did it disappear? Then he shows up and tells them, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen. And all of a sudden then, just like the, the disciples on the way to Emmaus, when their eyes were open, they realized it was Jesus, all of a sudden the disciples' eyes are open, or as the Bible would say, they had 
ears to hear, and they had eyes to see that Jesus was exactly who he told them he was for the last three years. And it's like all of a sudden, it clicks. Oh yeah, he told us this, didn't he? He said that this was going to happen. Um, we have, at the end of our Sunday school lesson this morning, there was a list of 11 separate appearances that Jesus made after his resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians, you might just write this down if you, if you have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Paul says this. Talk, talking about, um, actually, tell you what, let's pick it up, 1 Corinthians chapter, three, or chapter 15, verse 3. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3. Now, this is, this is considered a, uh, maybe even an early hymn that the church would have, would, have, would have sang. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And this is where, this is where we believe the hymn starts. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then Paul would add this little bit to that, to that early hymn. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, so get, the, get this. We have these independent sources. You have the four Gospels, written mostly independent of each other. It's, it's believed that Mark was probably the earliest, and maybe some of the other Gospel writers used his account. So you have the source behind Mark, the sources that each of the other Gospels used in writing their independent accounts. You have Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 where he speaks that Christ, where he testifies that Christ has been resurrected as he's preaching. And then you have Paul here who lays out, he says he appeared to Peter, appeared to the 12. Then you get this, verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So get this, that's five independent sources that recall the resurrection of Christ. I was reading a thing this week and it said that um, historians believe they've hit pay dirt if they can find ancient sources, if they can find two ancient independent sources that confirm the same thing. We have Five. Listen, folks, the evidence is there. And I love the way Paul says it. He talks about Jesus appearing to 500 people, and most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. But what he's telling the Corinthians, these people are still alive. You have questions about whether Jesus resurrected? Go talk to them. They'll tell you. And we have no record of people who denied the resurrection of Christ. Any of these people, any of the disciples speaking up and saying, look, we made, it, we made the whole thing up. We stole his body. No account that Jesus just worked his way out of the tomb, beaten and bloodied and goes on. We have 
evidence that Christ rose from the dead. So he appeared to his disciples. He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples and others. And the last thing is this, verse 50. The king is the Lord of all creation. Back in Luke 24, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While they blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven where he, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father until he comes again. The glory that he laid aside when he came to earth, which, which Philippians 2 tells us that he became nothing when he was here, the, the glory that he la- laid aside he has regained in heaven. And now he reigns over the universe as its savior and sustainer. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul says not only did he create everything, now he sustains everything by his hand. So, so listen. The question in all of this is not whether you will bow down to God, to Christ. The Bible makes very clear we are all going to bow. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Listen, the Bible says very clearly that the question is not whether you will bow to Christ. The question is when will you bow? Will you bow here? Will you call him Lord and Savior during this life and receive the eternal life he's promised? Or will you wait until judgment day where you will still bow, you will still call him Lord, but it will lead to eternal separation. This is my king. So I wonder if you know him today. Let's bow our heads as Chad comes to lead us in a time of invitation. As I said before, I don't, I don't know why exactly you're here today. Maybe, um, maybe your wife drug you or threw you out of bed this morning and said, it's Easter, we're going to church, get dressed. Um, maybe, maybe that's the only reason you're here. Maybe you're here because it's Easter and you feel obligated to be somewhere. Uh, but listen, I believe that God has, that you're not here just, just by accident, that God has a reason for you being here. And I hope that, that if maybe you came in this place as a skeptic, that through, through some of the resurrection, through the word of God, Christ has begun to reveal himself to you. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've been in church for a long time and, and uh, you've, never made, you've never taken that step to have a personal relationship with him. And so if that's, if that's you this morning, I pray that you would do so. On this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection, that you would make the resurrection a reality in your own life.
Maybe you're here and it's just been a long time since you've been in church, you're a believer, but for, for one reason or another, you just, you just haven't been here. Maybe this morning God's calling you to, to commit uh, to the local church, maybe join as a member, or, or just simply to, to make it a point to be here a little more often, to celebrate and, and worship with the body of Christ. I don't know. Whatever, um, wherever you are this morning, whatever God is speaking to you, we're going to take a few minutes and prepare our hearts. Um, in fact, I don't, I don't even want us to sing. I just want, I just want the ladies to play. Um, just as we spend a few minutes in reflection and, and in worship to the Father. And then um, in just a few moments, we will transition into uh, observing the Lord's Supper. So, so as the ladies play, just, let's take just a couple of minutes and, and just reflect on, on the cross and on the resurrection and on his work in our lives. Father, I come before you this morning and pray that um, on this Easter Sunday morning that you've, you've spoken to hearts. Maybe you're starting a work that, um, maybe you're starting just to, just to soften some hearts, break down some walls that have been there. And so uh, if that's the case, I pray that you just continue working on them. Let us as a local body of believers be available to answer questions, be available um, to just love on, love on people. Be with us now as we transition into celebrating the Lord's Supper and, and remembering the sacrifice that you, um, that you gave on Calvary. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.